You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome back. So much more coming up on the creation of the Tony-winning revival of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma. I'm curious to know uh, a little bit um, to deviate for a second about the marketing because you know it's a very stark production. You really peeled it back, and 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 the marketing is so beautiful and lush and elegant and and uh, inviting in in a kind of a traditional way, but but uh, you know obviously all the acclaim you've gotten, you know you're drawn into it for that reason. Is there was there uh, an interesting evolution to get to the campaign that you landed on? Yeah, I mean we what we always wanted to do in the campaign was to make sure that people knew that it was the show that they always knew and that they loved and that they grew up in and that they wanted to experience because no one goes to see a musical to be turned off, right? They go to be let in. But we kept a lot missing from the artwork. You know, you don't often see uh, full, uh, you know, full stage pictures because our show is in the round and there's a lot of audience uh, seen in every angle. And we wanted to keep a sense of mystery um, and sort of both within the darkness, there is light, right? You know, even in that final encore of Oklahoma, uh, everyone's going through their own experience because real life is just set in and the future is either bleak or bright or hopeful or neither uh, or angry um, or unknown. And we've wanted all of those emotions to also exist within the campaign. So we've, you know, created sort of a a hyper-realized sophistication, which is one way to say that there's something bigger and different going on, as well as a sparseness, which is why you, you often see a bright light and you see darkness and you see a connection between our, our leading lady and our leading man because there is both a romance and a sex appeal uh, that is very vibrant in the show. And there is a lot of romance and sex appeal in mystery and in darkness as well. Um, so those were sort of the inspiring ideas for for the campaign that exists. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful campaign. Oh, thank you. It really is. And I, I'm curious, speaking of lightness and what you said uh, a few moments ago, the, the fact that you guys are performing, uh, except for a moment of when everything goes dark, you're performing with all the lights on and you are performing in a 360 space. Um, you're, it's such a vulnerable experience. I would imagine as actors, but you tell me, I would, you are so exposed and it's a different experience. I would think. Um, yeah. Take it, Jimmy. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, we were at another interview over at Google and somebody asked a question like what happens when, what's the first thing that happens when the curtain goes up? It's like, well, there's no curtain. There's no blackout. We all walk on stage with the lights up, and they don't change as we start the show. Um, And we also, uh, the cast sits on stage for a lot of the beginning of the piece. Um, And we have this this, um, idea that, you know, the first act is a lot of solos. It's a lot of duets between people. And um, we say, like, batters up. It's your turn. You know, the first person has their song. I do Kansas City. 
Allie does Can't Say No, and it's and the rest of the cast is sitting. So it's like one person on stage surrounded by 600 people plus their castmates sitting, and it's up to you to, you know, live in that moment and deliver. Um, and it's every night it's unnerving. You're, you're up there alone. You don't feel like you have any support. You feel like you're being watched. Um, and so you kind of... And, and you, you need to sort of take the audience in, but you also need to push them out to do your job a little bit. I, I've, never, I've never been comfortable doing it on stage, <laughs> never. And, and Allie is the same way. We've talked about it. Like We always get really nervous right before we have to do our solo act. Um, I, I've never felt comfortable really? in that wow. way. The group, the group stuff is... I'm um, not uncomfortable. I just, I'm so old and bitter... <laughs> I just cannot take people sometimes. Um, people don't, uh, when they're wrapped and into it, I've said this a million times, it's really wonderful, but people just eat and make noise and pull their phone out, and, and it makes me insane. And it's very difficult to focus sometimes when somebody right near you is chewing or opening a packet it's dead quiet and somebody's I keep hitting this thing and somebody's opening it and it's like do you hear that you are making noise in a very silent room and i think we were talking about how it's a particular issue in this show because the audience doesn't quite know how to behave yeah, yeah. They th- I think they think it's more of a casual experience because the lights are up and there's no division. Um, it yeah. makes me crazy. It's like you wouldn't go to a dinner party and do that. You would like, you know, no, be- I know. like behave, everybody. No, I, I know. <laughs> we had to change. We changed our announcement, changed actually, our announcement. which is a little tougher and a little, it's not it's rude, but it's more specific. I, I, yeah. I know two announcements now, but, I, but, I, but just to reflect on, on this, the, the, your question, um, you know, something I I know about my work, and particularly in this show, is that you know everything I'm doing is is entirely dependent on the preparedness and the vulnerability and the presence of those people, the actors on stage, um, and they have to be that way every night, and they have to go out there, in a sense, not knowing how the evening is going to end, knowing that someone's going to die and someone else is going to be, is, is going to pull the trigger and um, anyone could be one of those people mm-hmm. and, and, and they have to be able to bear themselves and, and, and be naked. And it's, you know, it's interesting to hear the two of you talk about, you, you, you have very, you have very different experience. <laughs> no, I have, I, and that's not the only experience I have, but you know, that is just one of the things that sticks in my craw and I always talk about it in every oh, interview it's, there it's, is. You know, it's, it's not. Yeah. I, I, you know what I have learned though, and this well, I can't. I keep hitting this thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> this is a very specific thing that I've learned doing this show, and it's almost hard to articulate. But I have learned as a performer, I always thought that whatever I was doing was interesting, <laughs> and I realized doing this show that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a wonderful lesson to learn because. It's not always interesting. Sometimes it's just where you need to go. You need to get from point A to point B, and maybe that little journey is really not 
that interesting to the audience. And and I think it's a really wonderful lesson that I've learned. And you think when they think it's not interesting, they unwrap the candy? That's your no, lesson. no, that has nothing to do with that. It is a lesson that I've been trying to like wrap my brain around lately, and I'm just putting it on the table here because why not? Um, but it's 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 kind of fascinating to me. This environment, this show, with the lights on and with the audience just constantly sort of being right there. I mean, they always are in every show, but when they're in the dark, somehow it's a different story. Um, I, I find it fascinating. I was talking to John Hagenbotham about, uh, about who's the choreographer of the show, and he said whenever he sees the show, he's always amazed how unaware the front row audience who are at tables how unaware they are that they are so in the show Mm. they don't it's he's watching them not realize how present they are and how seen they are which i found kind of a fascinating observation it is because if you don't think you're seen then you can behave yeah however you want which is in most theater you are so anonymous. You're so yeah. you're all facing forward. You're not facing. Well, you're not delusional. You know you're in a room with 650 other people. They're not no, in your know. bathroom. I mean, no, I know, I but the, there's but a, you're a good audience too. member. Like, I was watching a show from a balcony, and, and you really like. It's funny, you know, in a normal Broadway house, being in the second or third balcony, you actually forget about the whole audience, and you're like, oh, this relationship is between me and that stage, which I can see very clearly. But aren't, but aren't you still cognizant of the person sitting next to you? If they're making noise. wanting to disturb the person next to you. If they're making noise and they're eating, yeah. So, I, I think when you get wrapped into a story and wrapped into, and you lose yourself to what's happening on stage, you do forget your presence, how you're visible, what mm. you're doing. I mean, I, I, I do the same thing. I watch the people at the tables uh, whenever I'm there, and it's amazing that they don't realize that at least 550 people, including yeah. the cast, can see their faces. Right. I'm, I'm going to body language. Take an entirely different, please, and positive spin on it. I'm going to say that people have heard that this show is so spectacular that, and there are people, perhaps some of them, that have never been to a Broadway show, and it's like you need to see this, and they don't know theater etiquette mm-hmm. and maybe they are used to going to movies and having their popcorn oh, or whatever else so this is not they're not being uh, rude necessarily they just don't know theater etiquette and um hurrah that they're there yeah, <laughs> and you can see them i think you it's also it's a very quiet show too i mean, yes. that, i think that is a big part yeah. of it and yeah. i think yeah. a lot of musicals yeah. aren't as quiet right as, yeah as, as plenty of shows true. there's yeah. a lot of moments where you could unwrap a whole yeah. packet of ricolas and no one, and no one would hear because mm-hmm. they're so amplified and we are yeah. not that way yeah well That's i think true. it's it's so fascinating because the lights are on the whole time that when the lights go out during poor jet is dead i i it's such a uh just a transformative moment it's really powerful because you've been in such bright light mm-hmm. the whole time what was the inspiration for for that moment um you know contrast equals interest and, um, <laughs> yeah and the idea that all the smoke i mean the smokehouse is is it's kind of the one if you're thinking about the locations that the show happens in and ours really just happens in a single location but it is the one place in the script where it goes someplace else, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's uh, it's described, you know, as a kind of dark place, um, 
I don't know. If, does she say it's dark? You ever go down to that old smokehouse where he's at? Well, it's, it's so descriptive. It's it's. it's um, I don't know. I just thought, well, what if we turn out all the lights? Uh, you know, sometimes I don't. You know, you, you don't kind of know why you're doing something until you do it. Um, at least that's the way I work. I don't. It's I sort of. It's the reverse. It's not like oh, there's an idea. How do I express the idea? It's like there's just the idea, and then you and then you sit with it and you try it, and then it starts to talk back to you and it starts to tell you things. Um, and you know, if that if that resonates and continues to resonate, then I think it's probably a good idea. I always think of Shakespeare in that moment when you're when you're staging Shakespeare, how some people stage Shakespeare, where something can be so descriptive, the forest can be so descriptive. You can you can talk on and on about the light and the trees and the letters tacked to the trees. And if you're describing it so beautifully, then you don't it's redundant to see it, to see the trees, to see the letters, to see the grass, to see the sky. And I, I stand on stage in the dark with them with the camera, so I listen to it every night. And it's part it's the only scene where um, there's so much description of what the interior of the smokehouse looks like. Um, with like pornographic pictures on the wall and oh I see you have a rope there and you could hang yourself on that beam like right above the you know right above the smokehouse and if they're saying all of that then you don't need to see all of it you know mm -hmm. oh absolutely yeah well it's a very powerful moment I and had I, a friend who saw it she was like I loved it but what's with all the darkness <laughs> I said why? And she, I, she said, I just was so uncomfortable. And I said, well, exactly. good. Good. And I think That's back the, to the point. The audience yeah. thing, too, it's, so, it's, 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 it's very disorienting, I think. Yeah. And I think that's part of what makes it good. And I think that, would, that makes it difficult for us at times on stage because people, do, people don't know how to act because nope. there, there's not a lot of the usual um, markers where, except where we come on and say, hey, everybody, turn your cell phones off. Yeah. No, no really. Please turn them off. Yeah, no, yeah. Seriously. Yeah. But you know, a lot of the usual trappings aren't there, and I think it's really. I mean, it makes yeah. them such a part of it, which can be challenging. But I think it is part of what makes people it's very freak out for better and for worse. Yeah. 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 It's you know, it's it's so much fun to listen to people in the autograph line because what they say is really interesting. And a woman was there the other night who said, "I'm from Oklahoma. I hate this show." And now I love this show. Mm. And so, you know, there are people that do, and then there are people that walk out. So it's really interesting uh, dichotomy of how people absorb things and what they see and what they, how they feel about it, you know. Well, and for those people who are expecting the traditional Oklahoma, it is going to be a little surprising. And <clears throat> to that end, I, I think, it, could you just speak for a little bit about uh, the Dream Ballet and how that evolved maybe from sure. from the Bard production, the original one? I think it's probably the, the, the thing that has evolved and changed the most in all the productions. Mm. Um, it's been, in many ways, the hardest thing to get right. I think where it is now is really great. Uh, um, you know, when we started with student production, there was this sort of insane, it ended the first, first of all, the Dream Ballet typically ends the first act of Oklahoma, and we move it to the beginning of the second act, which we did in, at Bard in 2015. Um, the first student production, there was like a crazy long Dream Ballet that had like, you know, it was kind of like a little corny and like, like teenage basement, like sex party, and like, it was all this stuff. I think, I think Judd, 
the gun in Curly's mouth, and there was a there was a camera on the end of the gun, so he, he was like he was like giving him head with the gun and all this stuff. And, and that, a big sleeping bag, I heard. And there was a sleeping bag moment. So and then and that didn't seem right. Oh, Whatever, eight hours. Yeah, it was exactly. It was college. It was like it was a bunch of twenty year old, nineteen year olds. Like this is what we should do. Um, that did not seem uh, like it was a, it would be good. Uh, with older people, and um, although I think we tried some of that stuff, and then um, uh, there was very little Dream Ballet in 2015. It was really just the, it was the kind of the mu- a version of the music that you currently hear, which was to try to you know take each song that we've heard and, and give a kind of highly amplified electronic cover of it um, that that suggested a sort of you know a kind of subconscious version of each song. Um, and Ted Chapin at the time said to me, he said, you know, I really think it's important that there be a dream ballet. Um, and we um, uh, we did a number of workshops, John Higginbotham, myself, and some of his dancers. We did a couple of workshops, like three, four, five days at St. Anne's, um, trying to figure out what that would be. You know, and, and I, I think I had been very resistant to the idea of, like, a ballet. I'm in awe of the, I'm in awe of the, the, the DeMille in the film. I think it's brilliant. Um, and at some point, I just said, "Well, maybe we should just have dancers. I should stop. I should like actually see what it would be like to actually have a dance." So we did that, um, and we began to find the vocabulary that led to the Dream Ballet. And then we and then we began looking for for a, a lead dancer, and and Gabby Hamilton came in, and just you know kind of changed everything. Um, uh, and John and hers would sort of made it. It's, I mean, it's John's choreography, but it's like everything in the show. It's so dependent and made on these individuals. Um, uh, who they are is absolutely a part of everything they're doing, um, and so it really evolved out of out of Gabby and who she is and her presence and how she moves, um, and um, it was a lot of trial and error, um, and. Um, uh, I think it's better on Broadway than it was at St. Anne's. Um, and brought you know, more video into it. And, there's and more video. There's, there, there's, it's kind of, um, it's, it, it's hard to describe. I don't know why it is, but it's, it's a clearer uh, story. It, it's, it, it feels, you know, it, it just, it feels better. And, yeah. you know, one of the jobs I think of the Dream Ballet in this production is, is to start the second act and to say, to, and a lot of people are you know, like really confused by it. Um, you know, there are people who are totally on board with it and love it. You often younger people, but not always. I mean, I think it's, the audiences are very unpredictable and you can't kind of assign it to an age or, or anything. I'm always surprised by, you know, the 80 year old white woman who comes in is knocked away by the dream. That's true, mm-hmm. it's um, true. But um, uh, I, I do think it has a job in this production, which is to totally change the rules of the show at the top of the second act and say to everybody, okay, the thing, the way you've been experiencing the event until this moment is gonna change and you all gotta change with it. Because um, it's going down a different, it's going to a different place. We call it a palate prepper in our marketing meetings, <laughs> like not a palate cleanser, but a palate prepper to let everyone know that the rest of the act is just different. Mm. Well, there's so many things about this production that that's different. You set a bar, you know, across the board in so many ways in terms of how this show is presented. Um, I can't imagine. <laughs> You know, anyone coming in with a revival who isn't going to stop and think, oh, my gosh, you know, this is, how am I ever going to do what these guys have done? Um, But there are other firsts and other amazing things that uh, Oklahoma 
this Oklahoma has done with um, Allie, and and I know that you went to great lengths to make that seamless and to make um, you know to make uh, the wheelchair disappear, and there's there it's a non-issue, and I thought that was so beautiful. Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, when we went to cast Ellie Stroker, it was it was about finding the best person for the role, and she's sexy and powerful and brilliant and hilarious and <clears throat> all the things you want in in Edo Annie in Daniel Fish's Oklahoma, right? Um, and uh, and I think Jimmy and Allie's romance and and love is palpable and brilliant and beautiful and hilarious, and um, I. You know, I can't think of I can't think of a hotter couple on board. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, it comes through just like you, you know you've been out in the world, but you know there's no one like uh, Ado Annie. That's you yeah. know it's very powerful love. Yeah, that's fun. It's so fun to do with her. Yeah. Um, in, in for all different ways, I know the audience. You talked a little bit about how there sometimes a few people are, are taking out candy, but I, in my experience, and the people that I know who've seen it, um, they're so completely swept away. And and um, you know, I, I I think the storytelling, the the, um, the, uh, the basically the how this the vision for this is so different than anything else. It's so, it's so provocative, and it does make you see this show in a brand new light. Um, are there things for any of you that surprised you, that surprised you for your your own experience in, in working on this show, in, you know, at the stage door? Is there a moment for you that just was so, you know, made you stop? My dad. I couldn't believe my dad loved this show. <laughs> I, re- I remember you talk about watching people from across the aisle uh, whose face you cannot read. I was mortified watching him for two hours and 45 minutes because I was certain. I avoided him intermission. I was certain he was hating it. Mm. And he had the uh, the, ear, the ear listening assisted devices on and he had this look on his face the whole time where his face was scrunched up. And I met him after I, I went around down front and, uh, and I just, looked at him and he started weeping and hugged me and oh, said, honey, cool. I can't believe it. I can't believe it's this good. I can't believe you, you brought this to Broadway. I mean, it was like a beautiful moment. And this is, you know, my parents are who took me to the classic American musicals at the barn in New Hampshire <laughs> from age six on. And, you know, I thank them for for my love of musical theater, but to have my, my mom and dad at that at that same performance together both loving it. I knew my mom would because she's um, pretty hip, but I didn't know my dad would. <laughs> and uh, and it was that was a big surprise for me personally. I had an experience. <clears throat> I've had more family, extended family that I haven't seen in in years. For not not their fault, but just, you know uh, uh, that I've seen in a long time. But I have some aunts and uncles from the Midwest and from Indiana and Tennessee who are fairly, to my knowledge, conservative and. Things in the past I've always kind of, they've wanted to support. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is me. I don't know if this is really for you. I don't know if you're going to like this. Um, but my, my aunt came a, a couple months ago and I was like, okay, so, you know, kind of assuming on some level, this is a weird, maybe left, maybe it's left leaning. Maybe this is going to offend you on some level. And I was like, um, I was like, oh, do you want me to tell you where the gunshots are? Sometimes I've had musician friends come who get angry that I didn't tell them there was going to be a loud gunshot. So I always offer to like, I can take the surprise away and tell you when there's going to be loud shots. 
and my aunt was like, I live across the street from a gun range. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you know, just this surprise of like, oh, assuming that it's, that it's only interesting to a, a, a progressive or left-leaning or liberal person is really, I think it does. And, and, and she really loved it. And it's kind of beautiful that she loved different things and the things that I think are a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit like commenting on something. She's like, no, that's how it is. Yeah. You know, she, I don't think she was clapping along at the end, but I don't think she was feeling sorry for Judd either. She was like, mm. yeah, that's how it goes. And, I, and I, I mean, I'm putting words in her mouth, but there's something that I was, I don't know, at least opened my eyes of, of like, oh, my discomforts and my, the things that are challenging for me in the show are, are you know, some people live with guns. You know, she's like, I have my concealed carry permit. I'm like, wow, and Anne, okay. <laughs> I'm both terrified, and I guess if anybody should have a gun, you're a pretty lost lady. Like, all right, I'll, I'd follow you in a fire. So uh, I think that kind of thing. Again, where you're like, oh, this is, someone thinks this is weird, and that person's like, I didn't think that was weird. Why'd the boots fall? That's, you know, that's my, you know. The, the, the things people focus on are as, yeah. as different as, as the number of people in the house. So, yeah. Same with kids. I feel like sometimes I'll see young young people in the front rows. And I'll be like, oh, my gosh, what's, what's going to happen to this eight-year-old when something violent happens on mm-hmm. stage? And they're just like, if anything, they look bored. <laughs> they're like, ah, okay, what's going to happen next? You know, it's just like mm-hmm. yeah. the, the things you assume are going to be impacting people are always different than what they are. I just think it's been so challenging, and um, I, I, I was talking about feeling uncomfortable, and and um, we use the word being vulnerable, but I actually love that. I really do because I think I've been in other shows before where there is a separation of an audience and the performers, and my mind starts to check out. You know, I go up on lines. You start you start doing things you know, on automatic pilot or by rote. And with this, because I'm moving through so many people's discomfort and I feel so uncomfortable, it's, it makes it super present. And I never thought I would be in a long running show where I remained, I I was demanded to be present every night. Um, And so that's great. And I, I can never tell what people are thinking, um, but I love doing something that makes people think. Mm. And a lot of people don't know how to respond to you after the show, and you think that they don't they don't have much to say, and then they come back to you three, four days later, a week later, and they say, I just need a time to process what I just saw. But I absolutely loved it, and here are all these my thoughts, and I'm seeing it again. And I, I'm always I'm always surprised by that. Uh yeah, briefly, I, we were doing a performance. It was early at St. Anne's, and uh, it was about the show was about to start. I noticed that there were, I think, six or seven eleven-year-old girls uh, sitting at the, in the front row. They were there for a birthday party, and some, I think some were even younger. And I thought, oh my God, we have to tell them what's going to happen about the blood and the violence. And I made like, you know, I was just, I was very nervous about them the entire show. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it ended, and, and I and I looked over at them, and I and. Uh, and they were all bawling. Oh wow! Just bawling. And then I went and spoke to them, and they and they were, you know, just the full range of emotions. You know, upset, ecstatic. They wanted to talk to to Gabby, the dancer, about the ballet. They were all dancers, and I just it was it was, you know, it was a surprising and kind of wonderful moment for me. Um, as I said before. Uh, I, I, I'm learning things about myself as an actor, and I think the surprising thing for me in this show is the emotions that come up sometimes that are unchecked. 
But also, um, I'm... I'm not surprised, but I'm very grateful that I feel this, and I've said this before, that the show's made me a better actor because I really listen to everything, and um, and it's a fantastic, I don't want to use the word journey because that's so like annoying, but it's a fantastic trip that we go on every night, um, it, everything, even when I get annoyed with the audience. All of that has propelled me into a different, territory from what I do and it's the kind of work I love to do so I'm surprised and delighted and very grateful for all of that and I'm so grateful to all of you for for talking uh, uh, with me today uh, love your show um, I'm craving cornbread very seriously right now <laughs> I've got to go do something about that but thank you all and thank in everyone please go right now um, I, Go to Circle in the Square, get your tickets, don't just go and and see this magnificent, beautiful show. You will you will call and thank me. <laughs> thank you, Dory. Me. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Dory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Deep Dive Broadway and today's immersion in the 2019 Tony winning revival of Oklahoma. You can find me on Instagram at Dory.berenstein or at bpn.fm forward slash deep dive Broadway. Join us next episode for a deep dive into the creation of Beetlejuice. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.